to the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I told you tonight that I, I wanted all of our membership to be here. Of course, we invited everybody to come, but I definitely wanted all of our membership to be here tonight because I had planned on preaching what I would call a very pastoral message tonight, and it is, it is that. And so we welcome all of our visitors to listen in, but I want to talk to this church for a little bit specifically, to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm not the pastor of any other church. I'm the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. And so I want to talk to Calvary Baptist Church a little bit tonight. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are beholding a phenomenon unfold right before us in America. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we are, if you'll just give me a little bit of grace before we read the scripture to be this much political. And then we'll get right into the Bible tonight. We're seeing what used to be red states, at one time very conservative, now turning into blue states and becoming more liberal. The reason that the red states are becoming blue is because the people are moving from the blue states to the red states. And I'm not making that up. That's, that's a fact. Texas, there was a threat that Texas was going to go blue this year. And a lot of people were saying, what in the world has happened to Texas? That's an easy one. I can tell you exactly what's happened to Texas. You can go to, to Haven Baptist Church tonight. You can ask Brother Zach and the people there, and they'll tell you exactly what's happening to Texas. And that is that a majority of the people from the state of California are moving from California to Texas. And so those red states are becoming blue because people are moving from the blue states to the red. The reason for the movement is because the people in the blue states are disgusted. They're disgusted at the way they're being governed. They live in a blue state, but they don't like the high taxes. They don't like the big government. They don't like the government outreach. And so because of that, they, they say, well, I'm going to move from where I am to another state. But that in itself is not the phenomenon. The phenomenon is that these people move from a blue state because they're disgusted about the way it's being governed and then turn around in the red state and vote for the same disgusting blue leadership. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Somebody needs to explain this to me. Amen. They don't like the state they're in, so they move to a different state, but end up trying to make the new state like the old state they just came from. You say, preacher, why in the world are you telling that story? Because we're seeing the exact same thing happened in the church. People are upset with a past church experience, so they excitedly move to another church where God is pouring out his blessing, and then, lo and behold, they try to start making the new church like the old church they just came from. I want to say this, this afternoon that Calvary Baptist Church in Union Grove has no desire to be like all the other churches. We are different not by accident. We are different by design. We are different on purpose. People come here and they're like, wow, y'all's preaching. What's up with that? It's on purpose. Well, y'all's preaching is lively and, and sometimes it's loud. What's that about? Well, it's Bible for one thing, but that's not an accident. That's not a whim. We do that on purpose. People come to church like this. Our singing is a little upbeat and it's not that dead, dry, 
you know, sevenfold amen, you know, amen. Amen. I, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not casting dispersions. I'm just saying that we don't, somebody says, preacher, why don't y'all sing that kind of music? We don't sing that kind of music because we don't want to sing that kind of music. We sing the kind of music we sing and we have instruments like we have because it's by design. Our preaching is different. Our government in this church is different. Our stand is different. But without sounding arrogant, we like who we are. And so if you come here and you enjoy this church, hallelujah, and I mean that. We're excited. We want you to enjoy the service. We want every service to be a home run. We, we want you to be elated and, and edified and excited every time you're excited. But if you come to this church and you don't like this church, our advice is that you find another one where you can be comfortable. Because just to let everybody know, we don't plan to change anytime soon. With that said, I want you to find your place in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to preach a pastoral message to you. I'll, I'll do it quickly because I know we're going to baptize. 1 Timothy chapter 1, when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's stand tonight out of respect for the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul, the veteran preacher, the veteran missionary is in these letters to Timothy is challenging a much younger pastor, a man that is not nearly as experienced in the ministry as Paul is. And of course, Paul is also writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said in verse number 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Notice verse 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. And just for a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about that subject, a charge to the church, a charge to the church, to this church, uh, not to any other church, to this church. And so you may be seated tonight, and we're going to jump right into the Bible study, and I hope it'll be a, hope it'll be a blessing, and I hope it'll make sense to you tonight. We'll, we'll try our best to, to preach it just as quickly as we can this evening. Father, thank you so much for letting us be back in the Lord's house tonight. And God, I was, and you know I'm not just saying this because the crowd's listening. Lord, you're my witness right now. I was, seat, I was seated in that chair just a moment ago while the special was going on. And Lord, you know my heart. I was sitting there thinking, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of something like this. Thank you, Lord, for just giving me the opportunity to be in a place like this one. God, we want to thank you tonight for the miracles that you've performed at Calvary, for the church that you're building, that you've built and that you're building here and Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll keep us in the way until the sound of the trumpet. I pray, God, that you'll not allow anything to defeat or to distract or to take away from this work. I pray that this will always be a place where the Holy Spirit has liberty to move and to work. May it always be a Christ-honoring place. And Father, I pray that when Jesus comes again, that we will be found faithful Give us the power of the Holy Spirit now, Lord, as we teach for a few moments tonight, preach for a few moments tonight, and I pray that all will make sense. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. One of the things we've learned, and you know we're doing a series right now in our daily broadcast, Countdown to Courage, and one of the things that we've learned in our series on the letters to Timothy is that 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy serves as a serious charge. Now, Paul was administering a charge to this younger man, Timothy, in the ministry. And then Timothy was to take this charge and he was to, uh, uh, to hand this charge down 
to the congregation in the city of Ephesus. We notice that in verse number 18. He said to, to Timothy, this charge, this charge, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. A warfare. So this charge was available as a type of ammunition of sorts that Timothy might war a good warfare. A, a charge, the word charge there is the same idea as of a command. Uh, and so a charge, a charge. Paul said, Timothy, this charge, this charge that I'm giving to you, this command that I'm passing down to you, I want you to pass it down to the congregation there in Ephesus. And so I began to think about that and I thought, Lord, what was the charge? What was the charge that Paul was handing down to Timothy and then Timothy was to hand down to the church of Ephesus. And so I begin to go back and I begin to look for that charge. I noticed that verses 11 through 17 are really a testimonial. Paul's talking about uh, who was before a blasphemer and injurious and a persecutor. Paul said, I was living a, I was living a lost life, but he said, the gospel changed me. The gospel put me on a new path. Uh, and so Paul is giving a testimony about the power of the gospel. I notice verses 8 through 11 that he's advising concerning the law. And so I'm still looking for this charge. What is the charge that Paul is handing down to Timothy? And after examination, we find that charge in verse number 3. We didn't read it tonight, but we're going to read it right now. Verse number 3. Notice what he says. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And then we notice there is a comma after that word doctrine. Verse four, Paul says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so basically Paul's charge to Timothy was this. Timothy, make sure as you go to that, that city church, that metropolitan church, make sure that you avoid idle talk and make sure that you avoid unhelpful talk in the church and basically his message was, Timothy, make sure that you stick with the gospel message. Amen. That was the charge. That was such a, now that's so simple, but pretty much the whole book deals with that. And if you don't believe it, read the whole thing and see if you don't come to that same conclusion. So Timothy, avoid idle and unhelpful talk. He mentions fables in the uh, in verses four through seven, he mentions, verse number four, he mentions fables. It's the idea of the teaching of angels or the propagation of angels. Where do they come from? What do they look like? And Paul is saying that if you start teaching things like that, there are gonna be, some people say, well, I believe this. And other people are gonna say, well, I believe this. And we don't necessarily have anything in scripture to back it up. And so one person is gonna say, well, this is my opinion. And another person is gonna say, well, I have a different opinion. And someone's gonna say, well, I believe this. And someone else will say, well, I believe this. And Paul says to Timothy, avoid that. Amen. Then he mentions endless genealogies. That endless genealogies means spiritual genealogies. It would be something similar to what we would call Greek mythology. Just coming together and talking about Zeus and Apollos and, uh, and uh, these different great gods. Can I break it down? Can I break it down into our everyday language? Basically, it's talking about things that might be interesting, but they're really not going to help your family. So if it was in our day and time, it would be like, preaching on dinosaurs and where did the T-Rex go and how big was the T-Rex and what do you think about aliens preacher and do you think there are aliens out there and have aliens ever come to this earth and, and Paul comes to Timothy and says Timothy those kind of things you need to avoid we, we mentioned there we, we show, showed you there in verses 4 through 7 the Bible says some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling Again, it's right along that same concept, vain jangling. It means babble. It means empty talk. 
Now, again, church, I'm, I'm going to get off this and go forward here, but the Bible is saying that we need to avoid these types of things in the church. And here's the reason. Because the Bible says they minister questions rather than godly edifying. In other words, they, it means this. It means they afford debate and controversy. In other words, they're going to stir up something. That's what it's talking about. Somebody says, well, I believe this about aliens. And I want to say, who cares? Amen. Studying a T-Rex is not going to help your marriage. Amen. And talking about Martians is not going to help your kids do better. And talking about, by the way, and talking about politics or talking about uh, uh, these different things that are taking place. And I'm just telling you, these things are not the kind of things that we need to be talking about. We need to be focusing on. We need to be preaching about. We're to stay away from those kind of things. Why? Because they afford debate and controversy. And Paul's point here is this, that you're not going to war a good warfare if there's nothing but empty talk and controversy in the church. Calvary, the truth is most churches are so busy fighting one another, they don't have any time left to fight the enemy. Amen. So, so many churches tonight just squabbling over things that don't even amount, my daddy used to say, don't amount to a hill of beans. And I mean, it doesn't matter. Who cares what you think about this or what I think about that? It doesn't matter. What we ought to do is we ought to stick with what God says. We ought to stick with what we know. We ought to stick with the word of God. Empty talk. Idle things. Sometime back I became interested and I wanted to know because I don't visit around. And I wanted to know what types of things are people fighting over in the modern day church. And so I began to do some research, and some of you have heard this before. But not too long ago, there was a, there was a, a, a research done on Twitter, a Twitter survey. And these were the top 25 things that caused major problems in the church. I'll not give you all 25. I'll just give you a few. These were the things. People began to chime in, and they said, these are the things that we're fighting over at our church. These are the things that's, that are causing division in our church. Are y'all ready? Number one on the list was this. One church had a major dispute over whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. Do I need to even build on that tonight? I thought about that this week. I thought, Lord, are you serious? Can you, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, and I thought, well, you know, maybe it would enhance fellowship. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I know I'm different. I'm different, but I, I'm just telling you when I'm in the restroom, I'm so thankful for the stalls. I don't want anybody in there with me, amen. I, I, I want to go in there and do what I need to do. And, and, uh, but this church is, this, this is real stuff. This church is fighting over whether or not they're going to install restroom dividers in the ladies' restroom. Another church had a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet that they were going to purchase and they could not come together on whether it should be black or brown or whether it should be a two, three, or a four cabinet filing cabinet. And churches are fighting over such things. A fight over which picture of Jesus is to be put in the foyer. This one right here said a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off 10 cents. I felt a little carnal coming on right there. So I stopped. Y'all know what that is, church? That's foolishness. That's, absolute, that's absolutely foolishness. Another church had a major dispute because the Lord's Supper had cran grape instead of grape juice for the Lord's Supper. 
One business meeting uh, argued about whether the church should purchase a weed eater, and it took two business meetings to resolve the argument. Another church was arguing over what, uh, what type of green beans the church should serve. I'm not making this stuff up, church. I didn't write this. Two different churches, two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. Well, that would have made me leave right there. Amen. Because the best part of way, anyway, and... Uh, and they fought over the brand of coffee that they're serving in the church. And it went on to say that some people actually left the church because they didn't get the type of coffee that they wanted served. Church, listen to me. That's craziness. That's ridiculous. You say, preacher, I, I disagree with you. No, you don't disagree with me. You disagree with God. I'm telling you, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And there's not a church anywhere in America that ought to be fussing over petty, little menial things like that that don't matter. They're not going to matter in eternity. It's not going to help your family. It's not going to help your home. It's not going to encourage your marriage. Oh, listen to me. And Paul writes to this young man in the ministry and he says, Timothy, when you get to that church, avoid those kind of things things and make sure that you stick with the gospel message. Now, let me give you a few thoughts quickly. So in order, and I love it because the Bible tells us what to do. So Paul writes to Timothy and, and throughout the, the first letter of Timothy, he pretty much gives us an outline. And he says, Timothy, in order to avoid this pitfall, I'm going to tell you some things that ought to be done in the local church that will help your church to avoid those kind of problems. We'll put a few up on the screen tonight. How about this? Number one, he says to Timothy, first of all, prayers should be offered. Now look at, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy 2 verse number 1. Paul says, I exhort, what's the next word? Therefore, therefore that's very important. I exhort, therefore. So we just came out of chapter one and Paul says, Timothy, avoid foolish talk, endless genealogies, fables, uh, 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 all this babbling and vain jangling. Avoid these things. And then we come to chapter two, verse one, and he says, therefore. So whenever you see the word therefore in your Bibles, you always go back to see what it's there for. And so Paul says to avoid those kind of things, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Same chapter, skip down to verse number eight. He said, I will, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Look what he says. Without what? Without wrath and what? Without wrath and doubting. In other words, if you're going to steer clear of these things, you need to get involved in prayer. You need to be a praying church. You need to be a praying congregation. Can I encourage you tonight, Calvary, pray for those in leadership roles rather than picking them apart. Did you know, it's, did you know it is so easy, it is so easy to criticize a position, especially if you've never filled it. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? We'll say things like this, and I'm not picking on you. I've probably said it a few times myself. We'll say things like this. Boy, if I was the president, if I was the president, I'd do this. Truth is, you've never been the president, and neither have I. I'm sure it's one of the hardest, it, probably one of the hardest jobs that a man could ever hold. And truth is, we don't really know what the president has to put up with. We'll say, well, if I owned the business, of course, you don't own the business. But if I owned the business, this is what I would do. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If I was a parent, do you have any kids? Oh, you don't. Could I encourage you then to do this? Could I encourage you to pray for the parents that have kids? 
And before you criticize, you might want to have some. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I can't believe brother so-and-so. I can't believe his teenagers did this. His teenagers did that. And, uh, and, I, and I want to say, how many kids do you have? Well, we don't have any yet, but I'm going to tell you one thing. No, I'm going to tell you one thing. When you have a few, you'll change your tune. Because it's not quite as easy as you think it is. And it's not as easy raising kids in this culture and this generation as you think it is. And it's not as easy raising teenagers as you think it is. And, and what, what we better do is we better pray for those parents that have teenagers. And we better pray for those parents that have little kids. And we better pray for that one that owns the business. And we better pray for the President of the United States. And someone says, well, uh, you know, if I was the preacher here, well, the truth is you're not. And so until you is, can I encourage you to pray for your preacher instead of picking him apart? Most of our men, by the way, most of our men who go out and pastor and then come back, always come back with a brand new vision because they realize, you know what, it's not quite as easy as I thought it was. It's so easy to criticize the Sunday school teacher's lesson when you've never put one together. It's so easy to criticize the choir director or the choir when you've never sang in one or you've never tried to direct 40 or 50 people all at one time. Y'all see where I'm going with this? And so rather than, rather than criticize, I want to encourage you to pray. And how many know this, that it seems like it's always the people. <laughs> it's always the people who are doing the least who want to criticize the most. Criticize this, criticize that, criticize this program, criticize this thing. And I'm thinking, where were you? Where were you? Man, you want to... You, you want to criticize, and I know this is I know it's tough preaching. And I told Brother Brand tonight, I said, Brother, I might need some amens tonight. <laughs> so this is preventive maintenance type preaching tonight. Amen. Now, again, the temptation, the temptation for all of us is to become critical. The temptation is to criticize, and what we need to do rather than criticize is we need to pray. You've heard the story, most of you have heard the story about the church, sort of like ours, and there was a young lady, a, a young teenage uh, young lady in the church, and, and she, got, she, she made a mistake. She got pregnant out of wedlock. And you know what? I love you when you do right, but I love you when you do wrong. And so this preacher, he's just doing his best to try to counsel with the family and He's trying to lead her into righteousness and, and, and pretty much the church is all behind that. They want to see this young lady restored. They want to see the, you know, they're, they're okay. They, they say, preacher, we trust you. I know you're going to, you're going to handle this. I know you're going to handle it. We, we trust you. But there was one lady. And just critical, 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 critical. Well, I can't believe the preacher's handling like this. I can't believe that little girl would stoop so low and go out and lose her purity. And, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not condoning that. I'm not condoning that at all. But I can't believe that little girl would go out there and do those kind of things. And boy, she must be, she must be a, a floozy. I mean, she must be really loose. And I can't believe she'd do something like that. And oh, my goodness, that, that's about as low as you can. And boy, she just, she was calling people up on the phone. And, and, and I can't believe this. And I can't believe that. And I can't believe preachers handling like this. And I can't believe she'd do that. And boy, she just kept that up going, going, going for several days until finally there was a church member in the church that got all they could take. She called him up one day, and, and boy, she started in, and the church member just stopped her and said, by the way, has anybody told you who the father of the child is? She said, no. She said, I didn't think so, because it's your boy. Isn't it amazing? All of a sudden, now she said, well, we just need to pray. We just need to pray. That's what she should have been doing all along. 
rather than running that jaw, running that tongue, and criticizing and sowing discord. Amen, we're preaching good tonight. Sowing discord in the church and sowing a little discord here and a little discord there and a little discord. I'm just telling you, church, that'll, that'll ruin a church. That'll hurt the spirit. That'll keep God from working. Listen, when things happen in the church, when there's something you don't agree with, man, take it to the Lord in prayer. And we never, listen, we never stand taller than when we're on our knees before the Lord. So how do we handle these things? In the church, preacher, number one, prayers should be offered quickly. Number two, submission should be practiced. Now you're in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter two. Look, if you will, at verse number nine. Now, church, don't get mad at me. Y'all stay with me. 1 Timothy chapter two, verse number nine. In like manner also, that women... Adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, you don't want to hear that one preached very much anymore, but it's still in the Bible, and you don't have to get scared about it. Paul is writing to this young preacher and he says, Timothy, to avoid these kind of pitfalls in the church, to avoid unimportant things, dividing the church, basically, Paul says, Timothy, the women should not lead. Popular, truth, it is. You say, oh man, you're one of those chauvinists. I, I don't think so. I can't even spell it. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a chauvin. I'm telling you, I've got, I've got one of the greatest, the greatest wife in the entire world, this little redhead over here. I thank God for her every day. I pray for her every day. She's got the greatest ideas. She's so smart. She's, she keeps me laughing. Uh, we, we have a, a tremendous relationship. And so someone says, preacher, are you preaching that because women are inferior? And I want to say very quickly, no. In fact, if anything, the women are made better. I'm not, I'm not making that up. If anything, the women are the upgrade. Paul may, or, or God made Adam and then said, I think I can do better than this. Amen. Somebody said, why did God not create Eve first? Because he did not want any advice on how to make the man. Amen. But anyway, <laughs> I figured I done, done, done made you mad anyway. I might as well just go ahead and, and, and no, I'm just picking. That's true. And I, I'm serious about that. Women are probably the upgrade, but they are created as a much more emotional being. Amen. And God is saying this, I don't want emotions being the thing that fuels the church. I don't want emotions being the thing that guides the church. And so because of this, I'm going to let the more inferior being, that's me, amen. I'm going to let the more inferior being, the man, the pastor, I'm going to let him sort of, I'm going to let him guide the church because I don't want emotions running the affairs of the church. Again, the idea is submission. Submission. The Word of God is a very pro-submission I can't take you to all of these tonight, but would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and can I just show you what I'm talking about tonight? Ephesians chapter 5, and look, if you will, at verse number 21 tonight. Ephesians 5, 21. I'm going to go ahead and start reading while you're finding your place. Ephesians 5, 21 says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. But look what he says. Even as Christ is the head of the what? Is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. What's it saying? That men are to be submissive to God. And then the women are to be submissive to their husbands. Again, the Bible's teaching some, oh, I know, this is so uh, so not politically correct nowadays, but it needs to be addressed in the church. Submission, submission. Now, wait a minute, now but we're not done. Ephesians chapter six, verse number one. Children, obey your 
parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. Y'all see where we're going? Submission, submission, submission. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, but we're not done. Look at verse number nine. And ye masters, business owners, supervisors, and ye masters, do the same things unto them, unto your employees, forbearing threatening. Don't be threatening your employees. Forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is the respect of persons with him. And this is all I'm saying tonight, church, that if we would just, all of us, all of us, if we would start living a life with a spirit of submission, things would be so much better. And so Paul writes to this young preacher. He said, Timothy, there's some things you're going to have to avoid. And to do this, number one, prayer should be offered. Number two, submission should be practiced. Let's go, let's go further. Number three, he says this, scriptural leadership should be the pattern. So we find in the first part of the letter, supplication, we find a little bit later in the letter submission, and then he goes to scriptural leadership. First Timothy chapter three, look there with me if you will. The Bible says this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so uh, this is so wonderful tonight. I'm not talking about the preaching. I'm just talking about this truth is so wonderful. And so, so Paul says the way to avoid these things is number one, you need to offer prayers. Number two, you ought to submit to submission or practice submission. But then he says, number three, you ought to be sure that scriptural leadership is the pattern. Anything with multiple heads is a monster. Anything with multiple heads is a, master, is a monster. Let me, let me illustrate. If everyone's trying to lead, if everyone's trying to lead, there's not going to be anything in this church but confusion. Amen. Mike, can I use you just a minute? Come up here if you will. Rodney, can I use you just a second? Donnie, can I use you just a second? Brother Mike, can I use you just a second? Just stand right up here. You guys just come all the way across here if you will. Brother Mike, right here. Stacy, can I use you just a minute? Come on up here if you will. Come over here on the other side of Brother Mike if you will. And so all of these men, we're going to say, all of these men here tonight claim to be the leader. So, Brother Mike, are you the leader? Yes. Yes. Rodney, are you the leader? Yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Donnie, yeah, boy. <laughs> Dictator right here. Are you the leader, Brother Mike? She said I was. <laughs> are you the leader, brother? Yes, sir. Amen. Uh, hey, Abel, can I use you in a second? So here's a younger man in the church, and I say to him, Abel, I want you to follow the leader. So Abel, follow the leader. Now wait a minute. That, that, and that, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm talking about. His first response was, say what? Where do I go? Who do I go with? Do I follow the one that's got more personality? Do I follow the one that's got more education? Do I follow the one that's got better leadership abilities? Who, 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 do, I, who do I follow? Who do I follow? Now, again, you know what's going on in the church? There is confusion. There's confusion because he doesn't know which way to go. So if I say to these fellows, go do your thing, and they all head out in different directions, how is this young man going to follow the leader if he doesn't know who the leader is? 
Thank you, fellas. I appreciate, I appreciate you being such a blessing. Thank you for your help. Now, you say, preacher, is this kind of thing addressed in the Bible? It is. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. And the Corinthian church just got all messed up. And Paul loved this church, and yet he writes to them with stern rebuke. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 26, notice what Paul says. Verse number 26, Paul said, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Paul says, let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace, for ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, nobody has the right to just get up and say, well, God told me. The Bible says the spirits of the subject are, are the, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Look what it says. For God is not the author of what? Of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. And so to make sure the church wasn't built on confusion, God gave the church a leader. He's called the under-shepherd. He's not the chief shepherd. We'll all see the chief shepherd. But God gave the church an under-shepherd, and may I add, with very strict qualifications. You go back and read 1 Timothy 3 again. Very strict. So biblically, we are to follow the under-shepherd as he leads the church. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Now again, church, please hear my heart tonight. Somebody says, you preaching this preacher because you, you, uh, you want to be known as the big hog in the trough for something around here. And I think anybody who's been here any time at all knows that is not the case. How many times have I had this conversation with the Lord? Lord, are you sure? Are you sure I'm the guy for this job? How many times have I left and I thought, Lord, surely somebody else could lead this work better than I could. And so this is not some kind of a campaign speech. But the Bible is giving us an admonition here that if we're going, going to avoid confusion in the church, God has given us an under-shepherd. And we're to follow that under-shepherd. And so I, let, me just, let me just challenge us and be real blunt and real frank tonight. Because the church is growing and folks are coming in from all over the place. And so when people come in and they'll say, well, I'll tell you one thing. He's not the only leader in this church. You might want to be very careful about that. Amen. Amen. And that was a little bit weak on amens, but that's okay. Because I stand beside what I just said. Wait, so I, whoa, 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 wait a minute, preacher. You see, we believe this, we believe it all do this, and you ought to have this committee, and you ought to have this committee, this committee, this committee, this committee, and then you ought to have this subcommittee, and then you ought to have this other subcommittee of the subcommittee, and... Uh, there's only one major problem with that. It is not in the Word of God. It's not in the Bible. So a church is, a church is growing. And, and sometimes when a church is growing, it's hard, to, it's hard to 
keep up with the leadership. And sometimes it's sort of hard to see the leadership. And so God knew that too. God's so smart. And so because in a growing church, there's, not all, there's going to be times where you're not always able to be right by the pastor. You're not always able to see his vision. Then God said, what do I want to do? I'm going to bring pastoral leadership in. And then I'm going to bring deacons in. Come on up here if you will. Come on up here, Brandon. And so stay right about there. Brother David, you get about that far behind Brother David or Brother, Brother Brandon. Brother Allen, you get right. And turn this way, if you will, fellas. And so in a growing church, sometimes it's a little hard to keep up with the leadership and the vision of the leadership. And so because of that, God said, I'm going to put some other people uh, an assistant pastor, an extension of the pastor's arm. And I'm going to give some, and not, not, all, not all are here tonight, but I'm going to give some good godly deacons that come along the side of the pastor and let's all go this way, guys. And as the, as the under-shepherd is following the chief shepherd and he's following the chief shepherd, wait a minute now, you may not be able to see my vision all the time or my leadership all the time, but when there are some other biblical leadership in place, you know what? It's much easier to see. You're right. Amen. And so you say, I don't understand. Why did the pastor say that from the pulpit? I mean, I don't, I don't understand that. That's where these guys come in. And they'll say, well, let me tell you what, why, why the preacher said that. We've been, I've been going here for 20 years, 25 years. And what that means is, what it means is this. Somebody says, I don't understand. Why, why, did, why did the church make that decision? I don't understand that. And that's what these men are here for. And, 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 he, and they said, well, let me, let me explain that to you. You see, what it is is the Bible says in such and such a place that, that this is the direction we're supposed to go and, and this is what God would have us to do. And then that person that has a question, all of a sudden the light comes on. And they're like, oh, okay. But wait a minute now, here's the thing. But what I just showed you right here is biblical. Hey, Calvin, let me tell you something. The only two recognized offices in the local New Testament church were the under-shepherd and spirit-filled deacons. That was it. So if there's this little subgroup, there's this little subgroup, and like, well, I know what they say, but you see, we believe, we believe that y'all to do it like this. Let me tell you something. This is not, don't follow the subgroup. Stay with the word of God. This is the way God set it up. A pastor and godly deacons. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And so, when you migrate away from that and you begin to become a congregation-led church, you're headed for trouble. So somebody says, preacher, and we're done. Somebody says, preacher, why did God put all these things into effect? And this is the reason. If we'll do these things, prayers, submission, scriptural leadership, you know what happens? God gives supernatural strength. We're done. But look, if you will, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14, Paul brings it all together. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, these things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, here it is, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Look, look at the next line. And without what? And without what? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. In other words, Calvary, if we will found this church on this book right here, we don't have to worry about all these other things. Now, what I preached tonight was very foreign to some churches. 
That is not the way that a lot of churches are being, are being governed now, nowadays. There are so many people leading, so many people calling the shots. There's so much dissension in the church. There's so much division in the church. There's so much strife in the church. Man, let's just decide we're going to come in here and we're going to pray. We're going to practice submission. We're going to pray for our preacher and our deacons. And we're just going to follow and do what the Lord wants us to do. I read the story this week of a young man. And he loved to go out on the beach and build these sandcastles. And they were, they were amazing. I mean, the guy was super talented. And he would build these massive sandcastles. They're beautiful. But as he would leave, some of the bullies would come out in the evening and they would maliciously, they would kick those sandcastles away, you know, and destroy them. And, and so the young man, he thought, what can I do? And so he got smart. And so now when he walked out to the beach, he'd carry him a, whole, a sack full of, of, of rocks. And he started looking for some, for some spare cinder blocks and, and some pieces of concrete. And he went out there on the beach and he would put these cinder blocks as his foundation. Then he would cover them up with sand. And he would build the sandcastle on top of these cinder blocks and these big giant chunks of concrete. And when the bullies would come out at night with their bare feet and they would kick those sandals, they got quite the surprise. And they found out that those sandcastles were not as easy to kick over now, to destroy now, because they were founded on something very sturdy. Calvary, it's very important tonight that we're founded on something very sturdy. And it's this book right here. Let's make sure that we follow, let's make sure we follow what God says. Not, not what the world may want, not what others may want, but let's make sure that we follow God's word and make sure this church is founded upon this rock. Amen? Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had together. Lord, I pray that what we said tonight has made sense. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts tonight. Father, I think the reason I'm preaching this message is because I want this church to continue to stay strong. Lord, I want to make sure that this, if you tarry your coming, I want this work to, keep, uh, to still be going in 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. I want this work to, to stay strong until... Jesus returns again. Father, would you put a hedge of protection around us? You're doing great and mighty things. Souls are being saved. Converts are being baptized. Lord, I really believe the saints are being revived. And Father, I pray that you would not allow the powers of darkness to try to take away from this work. Help us to stay true to the word of God. Father, I pray that you'll bless in this invitation. And then, Lord, as our baptistry workers are coming tonight and those that are going to be baptized are finding their way, Lord, I pray that you'll bless in the baptism service tonight. Have your way now. And I pray that Jesus will receive glory and praise from all that's done. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed tonight. Just right before we have the invitation,